If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM, let's create. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So I've probably spent a little more time than I should today just sitting here trying to calculate America's gross national happiness. Our gross what? (laughs) Our gross national happiness. So it's this index created in the 1970s by the king of Bhutan. And he decided that instead of focusing on his country's gross domestic product or GDP, that they should be focused on their GNH. And and so the government began working on policies to increase gross national happiness. So this is a real thing? I'm not kidding. And as part (laughs) of the focus, the Bhutanese government came up with an education reform plan called Educating for Gross National Happiness. (laughs) They were trying to provide a more holistic schooling for the country's children, you know, better integrate schools into their communities and promote ecological health. I mean, it's all good stuff, right? Yeah. And at the very least, it's a very sweet idea. I agree. But, you know, it's fascinating to look at how different countries around the world approach education and and what they decide to focus on and how even some of the top ranked systems in the world can approach things so differently. So we'll talk about some of those today. But don't worry, we're not done talking about gross national happiness. So, So let's get started. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of that soundproof glass, doing his best Billy Idol impression is our friend and producer, <laughs> Tristan McNeil. It's not a bad one, actually. It looks, <laughs> kind of looks like him. Are you ready to talk education, Mango? Am I? So I, I'm super excited for our guests. And, and we're definitely going to put one of our listeners to the test with a ridiculous quiz. And I'm ready to get started. All right. Well, before we dive in, we should say that there are obviously challenges involved when you try to compare educational systems around the world. 
you know, every country has its own values and its own challenges and, of course, its own strengths. But we did decide to look at data gathered by the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and, and specifically their program for international student assessment. Now, the OECD is this intergovernmental organization. It's made up of 35 countries, the U.S. being one of those. And other places are included like Australia and Mexico, the United Kingdom, Finland, Japan, Chile, and and several others. And the organization was founded in the 60s with this goal of trying to help economic development around the world. They also work to think through common problems, but one of the areas that they look at is the quality of education around the world. So this program for international student assessment is is just one way that they evaluate things like the level of education in science and math and reading, but, you know, also what percentage of children have access to education. Yeah, and we should also say that in looking at an assessment like this, we know it's not a perfect science and it doesn't really give us a look at every country in the world. I mean, this has been criticized for, like, only evaluating the wealthier nations, and that's a valid criticism. But it's one of the better collections of data available, and it is fascinating to look through. Yeah, so all that to say, you'll hear us referring to the OECD as we compare countries that are members. And our goal here is not to say that one country is better than others, but it really is fascinating how you could pick two countries that are near the top of the student assessment in terms of math and science and reading scores and realize that they have incredibly different approaches to education. Mm -hmm. And and that's exactly what we want to do. I mean, these these are two countries that you will always show up on these lists of the best school systems around the world. But again, these two countries are so very different in how they approach education. Yeah, and not from one another, but also from us, right? Mm-hmm, and, right. and of course, we're talking about Finland and Japan here. And we'll be looking at a few other countries too, but let's start with these. So Will's assignment was to look into Finland, and I took Japan. And we should know that we couldn't have done this episode without the incredible research assistance from Jocelyn Sears. So, Will, why don't you talk to me about Finland? All right. So it was super interesting reading about the investment and focus that Finland put into their educational system, really beginning in the early 1960s. And this was when Parliament there decided that the best way to really build long-term economic success was to invest in education and specifically in their teachers. So they made the decision that all teachers needed to be highly trained. And by the late 1970s, all teachers were required to have a master's degree. Hmm. And get this, fewer than 15% of applicants are even accepted into these master's programs. It's that competitive. And according to a fascinating Smithsonian article I was looking at, the focus on investing in teachers, it really led to this elevated status for teachers. It, It kind of put them on par with doctors and lawyers, and not in terms of salary, but because of the amount of autonomy and respect that they're given. Yeah. And and so you were telling me that even after they get into the master's programs, it's still really competitive to get those teaching jobs. Yeah. So one statistic I saw from a few years ago was that there are nearly 7,000 applicants competing for fewer than 700 openings at the primary school level. And, you know, most teachers now have master's degrees not only in education, but also in a specific content area. And there's additional focus on being prepared to teach their special needs students. Which is wild. But talk to me about autonomy. Well, the government decided that once they'd really invested in teacher training, after about a decade or so, it was it was time to put decision-making in the hands of these teachers. So prior to the 90s, the curriculum guides in Finland were something like 700 pages long, which 
I mean, I guess isn't that surprising since there's obviously a ton involved in teaching. Sure. But what's more crazy than that is that if you want to read the core curriculum guidelines for teaching math today, you can do that in fewer than 10 pages. What? <laughs> yeah, it's because these are really just guiding principles. And, and the teachers and local schools, they're able to tailor those guiding principles to meet the needs of their local population. So this whole structure is pretty decentralized then. Oh, definitely. 100%. So uh, that's definitely all fascinating, but here's what I might find even more interesting. And it's that when we were looking at the stats on school hours and time spent with the teachers, it seems like kids in Finland are spending far less time with their teachers than kids in most other countries. Well, that's right. But, but let's back up a little bit and start from the beginning. So, so kids actually don't start school there until they're seven years old. And before that, Finland does provide this heavily subsidized daycare, you know, opportunity for all of its children. But in these preschools, they aren't really focused on teaching things like math and reading. The, hmm. the, the focus is much more on play. I mean, lots and lots of creative play and outdoor play. And then the parental leave policy in Finland is so generous, allowing parents to stay home until their kids reach three. And so their rates of enrollment in early childhood education are, are actually pretty low. And even after three, there are fewer kids in preschool at ages three and four than any other country in the OECD. Huh, that's really interesting. But what about once they get to primary school? Well, here's where our kids are going to be incredibly jealous. So for the first few years of school, the school day is only four hours long and 75 minutes of that is recess. <laughs> 75 minutes of recess. So I, I'm certain my son doesn't see anywhere near that much. No, I was looking. I think the average time allocated to recess in the U.S. is is less than half an hour. I think it's like 27 minutes. But, huh. you know, in Finland, it's mandated that they have 15 minutes of recess for every hour of instruction. And even beyond that, the schools also incorporate so much more time for arts and crafts and just very active hands-on learning. <laughs> so forget about my kids being jealous. Like, I'm jealous. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but I I'm guessing the days get longer as the kids get a little older. Yeah, but, you know, even by ninth grade, school days are just six hours long. So if you total the amount of time Finnish kids spend at school over their nine years of basic education, it's about 6,300 hours, which I know that sounds like a lot, but that's more than a thousand hours less than the OECD average. Huh. So one of the things I read about Finland and that I'll talk about a little when we look at Japan is the psychology of removing shoes when coming into the classroom. Well, I thought this was interesting, too. And, and of course, in a place like Finland where it's very cold in the winter, there's a practical purpose for taking your shoes off, you know, to prevent bringing in snow and mud. But like you said, there's also a psychological impact that's been seen in multiple studies. So the thinking is that students feel more relaxed and at home and that it helps them focus and even improves their behavior. And it was interesting to read about studies in other countries where it's more common to wear shoes indoors and to see the impact of testing on shoe removal. And so one experiment in Spain where it's the norm to wear shoes indoors found that behavior and performance improved with the shoe removal test. Hmm, that's pretty neat. So back to the time spent on school and studying, we haven't talked about homework. Are the kids in Finland making up for less time in school spent by doing more homework? It, not even close, to be honest with you. I mean, huh. in fact, kids in Finland spend less time doing homework than any other kids in the OECD. Oh, man. So a study from 2012 found that the average 15-year-old spent about 200 minutes per week on after-school study. That's almost 100 minutes lower than the next lowest, which was the Czech Republic. <laughs> My son hates homework so much. I'm sure he's going to be packing <laughs> his bag when he hears this. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, so well, what else do we want to know about the education in Finland? 
All right. Well, a few things, a few other notes I had here. But but one big one, I actually should have noted this earlier, is that a big part of the reformed education policy in Finland is focused on equality in education or, or equal access, I guess. And so there's a strong belief that every child, regardless of their family's income or their background or their status or location, should have the same educational opportunity. They really see education as this way to combat social inequality. And As a result of this, the gap between the weakest and the strongest students is the smallest in the world. Hmm. And there were a couple other things I wanted to mention. What else here? Um, oh, yeah. Actually, there aren't any standardized tests in Finland, which is, just, again, oh, just crazy. <laughs> it's like school so, paradise. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So instead, teachers work to assess the students independently as they progress. So this gets back to the highly trained teacher thing. And every student receives free school lunches as well as access to medical and dental care. Uh, university tuition is free. Now, as for the future, their latest curriculum updates focus on something called phenomenon-based teaching, which is this effort to focus less on individual subjects and more on this interdisciplinary approach. So the teachers collaborate more, you know, to make this work. And it'll be interesting to see what this means for Finland in the future. I mean, all of this is completely fascinating to me. I, I One other note, though, I, I do think we should keep in mind that there are only about five million people in Finland. So it's a very small country compared to some of the other massive countries around the world, and even compared to Japan, which I know we'll talk about next. So this is not to say that everything that works in Finland will work everywhere else, but it's still really interesting to see what they've accomplished. Definitely. Well, I, I'm ready to talk about Japan, but first, why don't we take a quick break? So, Mango, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember we uh, responded to several listener requests and we we told our listeners that we were going to give some of them a chance to be on the show and play some of our ridiculous quizzes. Uh, all they had to do was either send us an email or call into our fact hotline, 1-844-PT-Genius, to tell us why they should be on the show. And that's a 24-7 fact hotline. It, it, it is still 24-7, right, Mango? Yeah, I was just going to say it is 24-7. That's good. I just wanted to check because I've, I've heard of a lot of... Fact hotlines or other hotlines not going 24-7, so I'm glad we're maintaining <laughs> that. So so anyway, our uh, guest today responded and and was the only person who wrote in or who called in and who was both a zombie on the Las Vegas Strip in a production of uh, Evil Dead the Musical and a mechanical bull operator, I think was the only person that called in. We've got so many great calls and so many great emails, but... Sam Murphy was the only person that called in with both of those qualifications, as well as being a science teacher at the elementary level, which is why we decided to have Sam on the show today. So, Sam Murphy, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi. (laughs) So, I'm assuming growing up, you you always knew that you wanted to be both a zombie on the Las Vegas Strip and a mechanical bull operator. Is Is that accurate? No, absolutely. You know, and like when I was looking for college programs, I looked uh, for something I could double major in both of those things. It was always very important to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrific. Well, I I had a question specifically about the bull operating side of it. Actually, two questions. One, what's a respectable time to stay on a bull for? And two, have you have you ever seen anyone ride it sober? Okay, um, so the official time in rodeo is eight seconds, and then you're officially being scored from that point on. So if you can stay on a mechanical bull for eight seconds having never rode before, you're doing great. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, and I'm sure 
yeah, during the day there were a couple times where people were mostly sober. It's really hard to find <laughs> sober people on the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah, I imagine that's true. <laughs> Just to clarify, if you have not made it eight seconds, you're not even to the point of being judged yet? Is that what you're saying? In rodeo, yeah. You have to go eight Got seconds, it. and then they'll start scoring you. So, I mean, like, when I was a bull operator, I'd go pretty easy for the first, like, four so people could feel good about themselves. <laughs> Got it. Then you crank it up. I understand. Okay. No, that's pretty awesome. And you're also a comedian and an actor in Las Vegas, as well as a science teacher. I mean, I don't know how you find the time to do all of this, but but tell us what you teach at the elementary level. Um, yeah, so it's a really, really great third-party company, um, and we teach science, and we sort of teach, like, the highlight reels of science. So we drop dry ice into things and see what happens, and we make them slime, and we send that home with them. Um, <laughs> so it's really, really cool to be this fun, bright part of kids' days when they're really bogged down with tests and making sure that they hit certain requirements and certain marks, and we say, go play. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, well, we have a quiz ready for you today. Mango, what quiz are we putting Sam up to? Uh, well, it, it was going to be called the Great School Quiz, but I've upgraded it to the Pretty Great School Quiz. All right. Well, it's five questions, and they're pretty straightforward questions, but they're fun ones. Sam, you ready to play? I'm so ready. All right. Here we go. Question number one. What band wrote confusing lyrics to the song I Am the Walrus when they heard that high school students were being forced to study and analyze their songs in class? The Beatles. That's right. One for one. All right. Question number two. What popular condiment was banned in French school cafeterias in 2011 on the grounds that it posed a threat to the national cuisine? Ketchup. Yeah, that's right. Yes. (laughs) Well done. Two for two. That sounded like a little bit of a guess, but I'm glad you trusted your gut on that one. Okay. I just feel like French people would be like, you're ruining the flavors. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number three. What 1970s and 80s animated music series got its start when an ad executive realized that his kid couldn't remember the multiplication tables, but had no problem recalling rock lyrics? Gem in the Holograms? Not a bad guess. But what's the answer to this one, Mango? Yeah. Oh, no, Schoolhouse Rock. What am I talking about? Yeah. That's right. Schoolhouse Rock. We'll we'll give that to you. Yeah, I think we're giving Sam credit for that one. All right. Question number four. What Cuban dictator declared 1961 the year of education and sent literacy brigades to the countryside to build schools and teach people to read? Fidel Castro? Yeah, that's right. And and by the end of that year, literacy had jumped from 60 to 96 percent. Oh, wow. Wow. All right, so you're four for four. Let's see how Sam can do on the last one. In 2015, students in Chicago launched a unique fundraiser. They got the school to play the song Baby by this Canadian artist between classes, and students could pay money to get it to stop. What artist are we talking about? Justin Bieber. Yay. (laughs) Is that right, Mango? The campaign was so effective that it raised over $1,000 in less than three days. Wow. So I think Sam has gone an astonishing five for five. So what has Sam won today, Mango? Yeah, Sam won an amazing five for five. And not only has Sam won a handwritten note to their mom or boss, but also a copy of Stray Shopping Carts of North America, which is a field guide to abandoned shopping carts. Thank you. I'm so excited.
Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. Now, before the break, we talked about Finland, and I wish all our kids the best as they relocate to take advantage of their shorter school days and lack (laughs) of standardized testing. But now it's time to talk about another country that also appears near the top of these OECD rankings. And again, this is based on scores in math and science and reading. But it's a country with a very, very different approach. And that's Japan. So, Mango, the mic is yours. (laughs) Thanks for warming it up for me. (laughs) So I, I want to go back to a point you made earlier about the fact that every country is different and that each culture has its own priorities and their own interests. So even though Finland and Japan see very high scores on the assessment, they really do have different approaches. And I actually wanted to start by talking about values first. So so things beyond, I guess, the learning of the core subjects. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and we'll get to that stuff, too. But first, I want to emphasize how much focus Japanese culture puts on developing independence and the sense of social responsibility all at a very young age. So one way to illustrate the importance of independence before we talk about what happens at school is how kids get to school. Well, I've, I've read about this a little bit before, and, and, and that's the fact, I guess, that most kids in Japan walk to school, right? That's true, but that's not all. So most of them as, as young as like six years old will walk to school alone. Oh, wow. Or at least not with their parents. Like many of them walk as a group, but usually this begins around first grade. And for most schools, if kids are within walking distance, they're required to walk. Huh. The walking distance can be considered more than four to five kilometers. So the average walk for an elementary school kid can be up to 30 
30 to 60 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's this sociologist in uh, Tokyo uh, who's named Teru Clavel, and she put it this way, quote, it's a culturally indoctrinated understanding that children are supposed to be independent by the time they start grade school. Really, so that's age six. And she goes on to refer to a statement in Japanese that translates, quote, to the adored child, send him on journeys. Huh. All right. So, so you've got six-year-olds walking up to an hour with no adult supervision? Well, in most areas, the PTA finds these retirees in the area and asks them to come outside and, you know, supervise the walkers. And they, they have designated safe zone houses if any kids need any sort of help. Well, if anything, I would have to imagine this emphasis on walking would play at least a little bit of a role in Japan having lower rates of childhood obesity. Oh, it definitely does. All right. So so you were saying that there's also this focus on social responsibility. And, and this is something I feel like I have seen a little bit about. Does this have something to do with the fact that I've heard a few times that there are no, no janitors in Japanese schools? Yeah. So, you know, I'd heard that a lot, too. And, and that's not exactly true about the no janitors thing. So most schools do have them, but they focus on the more complicated repairs and in most cases also clean the bathrooms. But yeah, that, that's the basic idea. So there's something called tokatsu, and it's these uh, non-cognitive activities that are used to develop the sense of social responsibility. And these include the daily chores that children are responsible for, like cleaning the classroom, cleaning common areas, stuff like that. And this starts in first grade, and students are required to bring their own washcloths to help out with the cleaning. <laughs> They'll clean for about 20 minutes a day. And in one report I saw, during this time, the school might play cheerful marching music. <laughs> and it's all over the sound system, but it's to keep everyone energized. Have to try that at home. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be clear, this is not seen as any sort of punishment. I mean, it's it's much more about this moral education and learning to be responsible in, in a group and as you might guess, much of this stems from the Buddhist idea of purification and, and the sense that cleaning is not far off from a form of meditation. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And in addition to this, most schools don't have cafeterias. So students and their teachers have lunch together in their classrooms. And in places where the schools are providing the food, students actually rotate through the responsibilities of serving others in their class. I mean, I think that's great. Uh, but what about the core classes themselves? I mean, I, I'm guessing this is where we're going to see the biggest differences from Finland. This is where Japan and Finland definitely take different approaches. And this is the case whether we're talking about number of hours in school, the focus of the classes in school, homework, even standardized testing. So let's talk about the school hours first. For much of the 20th century, Japan followed a six-day school week. And they've always had a reputation for this very strict teaching methods with, like, lots of rote memorization. And this six-day school week is something that's been fiercely debated over the past few decades. In what way? Well, in the 70s and 80s, people became more vocal about the amount of pressure being placed on students in Japan. And in response, there was this new educational system developed called uh, Utori Kyoku. I'm, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. I think you said it exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this translates roughly as, quote, pressure-free education. You did say that right. <laughs> Which is kind of funny when you think of it being applied in Japan. But there, there was this attempt to replace some of that rote learning with this move towards more creative thinking and problem-solving skills. And, and on top of all of that, the school week went from six to five days in the 90s. And did that help some? Well, it's tough to say what it did for students' stress levels, but it hasn't all gone smoothly. And in fact, after the shift, Japan saw its scores go down a bit on the international achievement test. So many people want them to return to the six-day weeks. And in fact, in a survey a few weeks ago, 
86% of parents in Tokyo were in favor of returning to Saturday classes, wow. and only 7% were actually opposed. That is incredible. And I cannot see that being the case here. Oh, no, it wouldn't be. And, and there's definitely a move to push back towards the six-day week. So, in fact, there's a bit of a loophole in the legislation, which uh, gives schools the opportunity to teach classes on Saturdays if there's a special need. So, in 2012... Nearly half of elementary schools and junior high schools were holding at least some amount of Saturday classes. Wow. So they, they definitely spend far more time in the classroom than the students in Finland. Yeah, and that's not the only additional time they're spending there. Because they have these highly competitive entrance exams and other standardized tests, there's something called juku or, or cram schools. And... They help students prepare for years for these exams. Like these cram schools meet after school and on weekends to help students prepare for future exams in math, science, English. And we're talking kids as young as six or seven. Like one report showed nearly 25% of elementary students and almost half of junior high students attended some amount of cram school. Hmm. And these schools weren't cheap. Like they cost more than $3,000 per year in some cases. And it isn't just Juku. Like, like one study showed nearly 70% of students attending after-school math lessons as well. God, so, so unlike in Finland, where from a very young age, there's this huge focus on preparing for entrance exams and standardized tests. I mean, it sounds so stressful. Yeah, despite some of the efforts to address the intense pressure, like, it's definitely still a very real thing. I, I, I look at these numbers here, and it's like, 82% of Japanese students report being very worried about their grades in school. And there's some other issues that they should be addressing as well, like bullying is actually an issue in Japan, but it's a little different than in the U.S. It's very much a group phenomena there where the entire class will gang up on one classmate. And uh. it's really sad. It's, mm -hmm. it's like between the stress and the bullying, it's thought to be the primary reason that teen suicide rates spike on September 1st, which is the first day of school. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, and, and for all the impressive test scores and achievements, that's definitely a problem that needs to be addressed. But I do want to finish the discussion of Japan on a positive note. Okay, what you got? Unicycles. Unicycles. That'll put a <laughs> smile on everybody's face. So the majority of elementary schools in Japan have unicycles on hand for kids to ride during recess time. And it's because the Ministry of Education recommends that schools have these along with bamboo stilts <laughs> to help build core strength. Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, they even have an all-Japan elementary school competition or a championship of unicycling. God, that's pretty <laughs> awesome and, and definitely a better way to end the discussion of Japan. You know, but but hopefully they can successfully address some of the issues you mentioned, because it does seem like there's certain things about, you know, their focus on independence and a desire to serve others that seem very good. But all right, let's take a quick break before we talk about a few other places. Our guest today is an education reporter at U.S. News and World Report. She's been covering education policy and politics for nearly a decade now. Lauren Cameron, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thanks for having me. So, so Lauren, we're spending most of this episode talking about education systems around the world. So far in this episode, we've talked about Finland and Mango just finished schooling us on Japan. So now we want to talk a little bit about the U.S., but it seems like that can be a little bit challenging because, you know, rather than pointing to a big national trend, it feels like you kind of have to look at what all the states are doing individually or independently. Would you say this is true? Yeah, um, absolutely. I'd say that that's definitely true. Um, I often say that, you know, there's not really one overarching trend, but rather 
lots of states trying to do lots of different things all the time. Um, sometimes I like to joke that in the U.S., the education system loves its shiny new objects. Uh, it obsesses a lot over, you know, one thing and then it's quickly on to the next. Would you mind telling us about a, a few of those shiniest ones? Well, right now, uh, you might be seeing some of your uh, kids have later school start times, for example. Uh, schools in at least 19 states that um, I know of are planning to start the school day later this year. This is sort of a trend that's been happening the last year or two after the CDC released a report a couple of years ago just blatantly saying that kids are not getting enough sleep and um, that they're just starting the school day too early. So you'll probably see that continue. Uh, you also might see less homework. Um, there was a recent survey in June by Morning Consult that pretty much found that 46% of American adults feel that, um, you know, less than one hour of homework per day is pretty much appropriate for elementary school students. So we've seen, for example, there is a school district in Florida, I believe it's Marion County, uh, the school superintendent recently issued a ban on homework in 31 of its elementary schools. So wow. you might not see a hard line drawn like that everywhere, but uh, we might start to see a dip in homework assignments. Um, also, I would say, you know, the increased use of technology, this has been a trend for the last couple of years, but um, it's actually a really interesting one. If you look at the data, in 2013, only 4 million students had access to broadband that was fast enough that allowed them to use um, digital tablets in the classroom. But now, just like four years later, that number has pretty much catapulted to 39.2 million students have that ability now. So just to ask you about that, are, are you say, just to clarify, is that access mm -hmm. in the classroom or access at home? That's access in the classroom and at libraries. Okay, okay. So the ability mm -hmm. to, to, to do their work on those. Yeah, I've definitely yeah, that's, noticed that. Yeah, that's largely thanks to actually, believe it or not, a federal program called <laughs> E-Rate. It's probably one of the only federal programs I can think of off the top of my head that was uh, conceived and is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. So <laughs> in the four short years, you have, you know, 35 million more students um, having that ability. So it's pretty remarkable, actually. You know, one other thing that I could think of is that there'll probably be an increased interest in making popular, again, uh, VO tech programs, apprenticeships, things like that, other technical skill courses as ways to help fill the so-called skills gap. That's getting a lot of attention these days as well. Hmm. Yeah. Now, on, on the homework front, is are these decisions based on studies around the um, effectiveness or lack of effectiveness of homework, or is it based on just kind of family needs? I mean, do, do you know why the, the trend does seem to be moving in the direction of less homework for students? I mean, I'm fully in favor of it. I'm just curious why. <laughs> and my kids are too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have an 11-month-old son. He's not really bringing home a lot of homework yet. but He's I falling behind already. Yeah, right? Um, I think it's it's both based on, you know, public polling opinions um, and also research that suggests, you know, a lot of the learning is the most effective learning, at least, is done in the classroom. Well, Lauren, is there anything else that you feel like we should know about right now regarding education policy or, or any other trends? Yeah, it's probably, um, you know, it's probably worth noting that as a backdrop to this story, all states right now are in the process of um, devising new education plans. This is something that's required 
under the new federal education law, the Every Student Succeeds Act, and those plans are in the process of being okayed by the um, Department of Education. And that's really going to change how students and schools are assessed and held accountable and will therefore have a big impact on the classroom. Uh, you might, as a parent, start to see some of these changes this year, uh, perhaps things like greater access to art classes or AP and IB classes, potentially STEM programs, and some states are proposing to even pay more attention to socio-emotional health of students. That's very interesting. Well, I'm glad you're here to read through all 50 of those plans so that you can uh, <laughs> make sense of those for us. But thanks so much for your terrific reporting and for joining us today on Part-Time Genius. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We were just wrapping up our discussion of Japan. But I realized I had one more question, and, and that's because we've been looking at two pretty different ends of the spectrum in terms of time spent at school and after school work and standardized testing. And we we're talking about how these are kind of two ends of the spectrum. It's, it's, so do Japanese students spend more time on homework than all other countries? Actually, no. So that honor belongs to China, and it's not even a close competition. Like the OECD looked at 65 countries in a study a few years ago, and Chinese students spend 
831 minutes per week on homework. Oh, my gosh. And, and that's almost 250 minutes more than the next closest, which was the Russian Federation. They spent uh, 585 minutes. And only a few other countries spent more than 500 minutes per week on homework. And, of course, all of this is more than four times what the kids in Finland are spending. Gosh. <laughs> in fact, almost 90% of high school students in China say they typically finish their homework after 11 p.m. Yeah, and it sounds like this is another place where, you know, the level of competition and stress must be so high. Definitely. So just like Japan, China has some very high stakes tests for their students. Like there's a huge nine hour college entrance exam called the high test. And unlike the SAT, where several students hit perfect scores every year, no one has ever achieved a 750, which is the perfect score on this exam. Huh. And and I guess this exam is, is really important for college entrance. Yeah, I mean, it's not just important. It's actually the only criteria for getting into a Chinese university. Yeah, it's so competitive there that the top universities may only select one out of 50,000 students. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we sit here thinking that the U.S. schools are competitive. Yeah, no kidding. And and this exam is so important that can have this major impact on a student's future career and even their marital status. But I I think the craziest part about the exam may be the prompts used in the writing section. So uh, according to an article in The Guardian, Two of the prompts from the 2015 exam included, quote, do butterfly wings have colors? And, quote, who do you admire most, a biotechnology researcher, a welding engineer, technician, or a photographer? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to turn in my essay on that first one. The answer would just be yes. But it, it seems like there would have to be a breaking point for all of this one day. Well, that's already kind of starting to happen, though not really in this seismic way. But you definitely see fewer students taking the exam and just opting to go to school abroad. And and then others are starting to go to vocational schools, which tend to be less competitive. I mean, I doubt the entrance exam is contributing much to gross national happiness. I mean, if they're measuring that there. <laughs> I kind of doubt they are. I told you I was going to bring this one back up, but but let's go back to Bhutan. So it, it was really fun reading about the implementation of this program. And so it's focused on four primary pillars. So there's sustainable development, preservation and promotion of culture, conservation of the environment, and good governance. And then to measure their progress, Bhutan developed an index in 2008 that would, quote, reflect GNH values, set benchmarks, and track policies and performance of the country. So the way they set these benchmarks and and track all of this is through this index that includes nine domains. There's psychological well-being, time use, community, vitality, culture, health, education, environmental diversity, living standard, and governance. (laughs) You got all those? (laughs) I got them. But, you know, I mean, like the whole four pillars and nine domains thing, it sounds so Buddhist. Like it reminds me of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. I love the way you say Buddhist. (laughs) But that's because it really is rooted in Buddhist philosophy, and and that's no big surprise because Bhutan is majority Buddhist. And in fact, in 2010, they began requiring schools to make time for daily meditation. But even back on the education side of it, there's there's another interesting piece of this. So with their focus on education and all their efforts to provide primary schooling for everyone and increase the literacy rate, Bhutan is seeing some pretty significant results. 
I mean, they're not going to be on the same top list that Finland and Japan are in terms of all of their scores, but what they've accomplished is still really impressive. So just, just looking at some of the numbers for literacy, actually, let me pull these back up. It says, in 2005, the literacy rate for those 65 and older was about 29% for men and only 5% for women. Wow. But if you look at the 15 to 24 age range, uh, at that point, it was 80% for men and 68% for women. But then fast forward seven years to 2012, looking at that 15 to 24-year-old age group again, it jumped to 90% for men and almost 85% for women. I mean, these are some huge gains. Yeah, it's incredible. So maybe focusing on gross national happiness isn't such a silly idea. But you know what else is incredible? The part-time genius backed off. All right, I'll kick us off here. So uh, earlier when we were talking about all students receiving free school lunches in Finland, I'm not sure if you saw the story, but this will now be happening in New York City. Earlier this year, New York announced a program to provide free lunches to all public school kids. Which is great. So looking at a country we didn't really talk about today, do you know that in France, schools are working to teach children not to be picky eaters through this thing called taste training lessons? <laughs> no, I did. So in 2011, this became part of their national curriculum, and Karen Lebillion, author of French Kids Eat Everything, told Quartz, quote, The French take a different approach to food from a very young age. They believe and have done scientific research to prove that you can teach your kids to eat just like you teach them to read. And according to the report, young kids are expected to learn how to enjoy such delicacies as pickled pig snouts. Nice. Oh, <laughs> I'd like to see them try to get my kids to eat those. Gross. Actually, I had a fact here about education in France as well. And I didn't know that traditionally French children have only gone to school four days a week. Huh. And it's Wednesday that's kind of their special day with no school. And this dates back to the late 1800s when this day was reserved for religious education. And in the 70s, it became a mandatory day off. But in the past decade or so, it's turned into this heated debate. So go back to 2008, Nicolas Sarkozy mandated the elimination of classes held on Saturday, which some schools were kind of using to make up for that day off, and mandated they return to this four-day week. So then a few years later, Francois Holland instituted a half day on Wednesday. So it became this <laughs> four and a half day school week. And then early in his term, Emmanuel Macron informed schools that they would have the option of going back to the four day week if they so desired. That's amazing. So speaking of recent announcements, something I forgot to mention when we were talking about Japan, according to the Japan Times, quote, this year, the Ministry of Education announced they would be adding the teaching of a second language at all elementary schools. And so while you might be thinking English, it's actually computer programming languages. So as part of their language curriculum update to be completed by 2020, all students will be taught coding in schools. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, in Russia, September 1st is known as Knowledge Day, and it's the celebration of the beginning of school, and it's accompanied by lots and lots of ceremony. So at the end of the ceremony, a first grade girl sits on the shoulders of a senior boy, and then she rings a bell to signify the start of the year. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. But it sounds but it very appropriate. Sounds good. Yeah. Like, of course, she sits on the shoulders and rings a bell, and it's time to start school. So... I have to admit, I saved this one for last. In 2002, a nonprofit started by Shidulai Swanivar, I'm sure I'm getting that Nailed wrong. Nailed it again. Good job. <laughs> uh, created the first boat-based school in Bangladesh. And so you might be wondering why. It's because so much of the country is often flooded during the monsoon season. It makes it very difficult for many kids to get to school. 
And with a boat-based school, the school comes to them. So by 2015, there were 22 of these floating schools. And it's amazing because the school really also serves as a school bus by traveling around and picking up the students. And after all the students are collected, the boat docks and and the school day begins. That's incredible. I know. And and the boats have internet access and and they've got solar panels to make it all possible. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have given it uh, a million dollars to build more boats and improve the technology. It's really phenomenal. Hmm. and uh, it isn't just there. So inspired by this, you can actually find floating schools in other countries prone to flooding. So these occur in Cambodia, Nigeria, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Zambia as well now. I see why you say that one, Mango. I have to admit that that is an incredible fact. And, and to be honest, worthy of this week's trophy. So congratulations. <laughs> That's it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Do we, do we forget Jason? Jason who? the question diamonds direct has an offer you can't miss this month only buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at two thousand dollars imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once no one provides education selection and value like diamonds direct your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at diamonds direct won't last long details at diamondsdirect.com Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And hmm. not to mention we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.